Hey everybody, I'm Eddie Starr, and this is the College of Rock and Roll Knowledge. Class is now in session. This is where the music and culture that shaped a generation live on, and my own path through the world of rock and roll. Today we're going back to 1982. I was 13 years old, playing my guitar along to some of my favorite songs. I wasn't into any specific group or artist, but that was about to change. A lot of the songs I heard on 93KHJ or The Mighty 690 were just the hits. And every Sunday I would listen to American Top 40 with Casey Kasem. And one week I heard Joan Jett and the Blackheart song, I Love Rock and Roll. And that really changed things for me because the simple sentiment of the song, the big fat chords and drums really made me want to hear the rest of that record. Also, Billy Idol's White Wedding. I loved that song, and I felt compelled to get his debut album. Both of these artists were like a gateway to a secret world because they had histories that most people really weren't aware of. For instance, a friend of mine at school had said, hey, if you're into Joan Jett, you should check out her first band, The Runaways. So I went on a mission to find The Runaways records. And after going to Warehouse, Sam Goody, Licorice Pizza, all the chain stores from that time, no one had heard of them. One day I went into a little store across from the local mall and the clerk knew who I was talking about and I ended up getting the best of the Runaways, which was the only album they had and it had been put out by Mercury Records basically because of Joan Jett's success. Billy Idol's first band, Generation X, I was able to get all those records. Also by reading the magazines Cream and Circus, a lot of times they mention other artists or things that were going on from that particular era. And it really piqued my interest. I felt like I was part of a secret society because most people really weren't aware of these bands. And one thing led to another. For instance, when I read an interview with Joan Jett and she was talking about Rodney's English Disco, which had been a teenage nightclub in the early 70s, it was long gone, but I was able to listen to Rodney Bingenheimer on K-Rock and I heard him talk about David Bowie's early work, like Aladdin Sane or Ziggy Stardust. Diamond Dogs. And then there were bands like T-Rex, Slade, Susie Quattro. Bands that I was way, I mean, I was a very little kid. I would have never heard of these bands. And most of them weren't played on radio. 
especially the British glitter music that never really found an audience in America with the exception of Gary Glitter, who had a minor hit with rock and roll part two, because they played that song at a lot of sporting events. Bang a Gong by Power Station, which was, of course, T-Rex. John Taylor from Duran Duran, that was his side project. Also, Quiet Riot, they covered uh, Come On, Feel the Noise by Slade. So people, a lot of times, do know a few of the songs, but that's really about it those exceptions. Billy Idol was part of the Bromley contingent, which were a group of kids that followed the Sex Pistols around. So getting into him and his story, when I read interviews or an article about him, that led me to bands like Susie and the Banshees, Penetration, X-Ray Specs, the Buzzcocks, I was never really into The Clash. I know that's a hard thing maybe for a lot of people to hear, but I really did like the traditional sort of rock and roll type vibe. And to me that I I just couldn't for some reason get into them. But there was a mystique around these bands. The fashion the stories, and that was most evident with the Sex Pistols because, like I've mentioned before, the Sex Pistols, a lot of people heard about them, but not a lot of people heard their music for a long time. And I think it's really, truly amazing how 40 years later, the legacy they have based on one studio album granted a history making album. But I do think a lot of it, a lot of the myths around them contributed to propelling them into the future. And as people, you know, spoke and talked about them or heard things about them, it, because there was so little known about them, Like I've mentioned before, there was no Google to search anything. I think it helped. It's helped not only their legacy, but a legacy of a lot of the bands from that time. In 1982 in Los Angeles, the club scene was all metal. There really weren't any punk bands really around. Although there was like social distortion, bad religion, a few bands like that, but that was more to me. It was, I mean, social distortion was uh, more of a country punk thing and bad religion was more into the, I would put it like the California hardcore. So that really wasn't my style. I liked a lot of their songs, but I really wasn't into them uh, as much as I was into the British glitter and the English experience of punk rock. And there weren't, with the exception of Fender's Ballroom down in Long Beach and Madame Wong's 
on Santa Monica Boulevard. Sometimes you could catch a band that was cool there. So I really wasn't going out to a lot of live venues because, as I said before, it was all metal. And I think I'm going to leave it right there this week. I appreciate you listening to these little vignettes. I hope you're enjoying them. Thank you for subscribing, listening, and sharing this podcast. And I'll see you next week. Eddie Starr's College of Rock and Roll Knowledge is a production of Ton Up Incorporated. Copyright 2020 Ton Up Incorporated.